Good morning. Everybody feeling good today? Extra hour? You're like, I just didn't do it for me. Um, if you have a Bible, if you don't, there's some back there. And um, if you need a Bible, you can have that one. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And then here in a little bit, we'll go from Ephesians 2 and we'll go to um, 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, every time I stand up here, um, I, I don't think this will come to much surprise to those of you that see me do this on a regular basis. But every time I stand up here, I firmly believe that, that what God has to say absolutely can and will change someone's life in the sound of my voice. Now, for a while, um, I, I wondered if I should actually think that way. You know, as a young guy, a young pastor, I, I was like, maybe that's, you know, maybe I have this small view of, you know, I'm too confident or, 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 or whatever, and I know it's about the whole, and it's about what you do over the, the long haul in a, as a communicator. Um, but but I've, I've kind of become to realize this fact Okay, I believe this morning, God has a specific message for us. And I believe it's going to be hard to grasp, and I believe it's going to step on some toes, okay? Um, and it's already been working me over this week. Okay, but I believe he has a specific message. And if I, if I would stand up here every single time I do this, and, and I would just kind of not really believe that God had a message for us this morning, um, I would be a dead communicator, that would just kind of be giving words off of a page, that would be kind of be reading some scripture off of a screen, and then just kind of putting it out there and say, well, I hope that adds up to what I do next time, and hope that adds up to what I do next time, and then down the road we'll kind of see what God did. Now, I believe there's a tension there, but, but here's all I want to say this morning. God has something for us this morning. And I don't know what you came in here expecting, but last, yesterday I went on a four-mile run, and it will become my routine in sermon prep because God absolutely lit me up. And he put a fire in me that said, like, I'm going to change some lives at North Church on November 6, 2011. And God, I believe that. And, and my prayer is that when you walk out of here today, like, you'll think back to me saying that, and, and you'll say, he was right. So I want to pray, and I want to just one more time say, God, um, come here, and then we're going to get to work. Pray with me. Papa, you are everything. And God, I don't stand up here with any sense of confidence in my own ability to communicate the truth of your word, to, to communicate the beauty of the gospel. I'm going to stand up here confident that your word will not return void, confident that you're on a greater mission than I am, that you have greater purpose than I have, and that you've invited me, you've invited us into this plan, the plan of redeeming all things to yourself. And so God, would you change us this morning? God, in such a way that we would never be the same as a result of what happens this morning. I pray in your powerful, powerful name. Amen. Okay, Ephesians 2. Here we go. I need to paint a picture before we get to what we need to get to. So Ephesians chapter 2, here's what it says. 
Um, This will also be on the screen behind me. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, let me, let me tell you what, what he just said. Okay? Picture something going bad. You had those experiences? Just something you think, thinks, you think here's the way it's going to go, and it just goes terrible. Okay? That's what's happening here. God creates the world perfect, beautiful, and it goes bad because here's what happens. Man decided, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to write my own story. I'm going to do my own thing. And God, in his um, perfection, in his holiness, says, no, this is the way I created you. This is the way I created this world. This is the way I designed life to work. And because we say, no, I'm doing my own thing. You know, you know what I do as a parent? Like, like that just, I just well up. Like I'm like, oh, you want to go? Like I'm a lot bigger than you. Like, you're a little kid, and I can take you. Okay, God has every right to do that. Disobedient to the core, every one of us deserve the absolute wrath of God for all eternity. Now let's go to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay, so here's the deal. Not only does he show us mercy, where he says, I have absolute right. Okay, we think, well, that's not fair. Well, well, you know what the, the news is? Fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. That's not fair. God, it's, I have absolute right to destroy you, but I'm going to withhold my wrath because of the work of my son. But here's the amazing thing. He not, not only does he say, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. He says, I'm going to do greater things than that. I'm going to give you salvation, and then what am I going to do? Look at verse 6. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he gives us a place with Jesus in relationship with Jesus that the Bible says that we'll one day rule and reign with Jesus as his children. So that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. So me, in my wretched, sinful condition, God came out of heaven, so to speak, and he reached down, he said, I'm going to put faith into your soul. And he rescues me from my sin, and he rescues me from myself. And there's no way I can say, look what I did for God Look at the decision I made. What does it say? So that no one can boast. That's grace. Not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. In verse 10, for we are his workmanship. 
his creativity, his poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should then walk in. Okay, now go to 1 Peter, because this is going to launch us right into where we're at in 1 Peter chapter 4, that God created us for a purpose. He created us for a mission. He created us greater for something than just ourselves, our story. He invites us into his redemptive plan for all time. Verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I'm going to stop there. I want to focus for a second on this phrase, the, the end of all things is at hand. Okay, and why don't you think about that, okay? Because Peter is writing this, what? I don't know, less than like 2,000 years ago? Peter said, the end of all things is at hand. Well, is Peter just a loon? Like, is he like the guy who like, you know, predicts the end of the world and he just missed it by several thousand years? No. Like, here's what you need to understand. Um, when it says the end, it's not talking about a point. It's not talking about like at, you know, 1115, 1120. Well, Dave's preaching 1145 today. Just kidding. Um, we're we're going to be done. The end. It's not talking about a period. It's not talking about this point. It's talking about a period. It's talking about a period in God's redemptive plan. So you have creation. The kind of creation, in the beginning of the Bible, you have the fall. Then you have God's plan of redemption that comes in and through the personal work of Jesus Christ. So at the, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, you have inaugurated this period right here that Peter's talking about. When it says, the end of all things is at hand. It's the final stage in the process of God's plan of redemption. So it's not any more or less true for us than it was for Peter in that day. We're still in that period of time that will one day end when God returns. So he says the end of all things is at hand. Now it's interesting that he says all things. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means the gospel, the, the, the work of Christ through the cross to redeem a wicked sinful man to a holy God through, the, through, through faith that's birthed from the Father, the gospel, it reaches all spheres of life. Every person, everything that happens in life, the gospel is applicable to that. All th- so the end of all things, God's redemptive plan to bring about the consummation of the end of the age. Now, what's interesting is, is as a Christian, okay, if, you're, if you're a Christian in the room, Here's something that's super important that we understand. It's the idea that we live in this present reality of the kingdom of God. Okay, that, that, that we're in the present time. We're engaging in a mission that God gives to us. That, that, that the things that we're doing are bigger than us. They're big. You know, Rick talked, I think, a couple weeks back about there's something bigger going on than what we think is going on. Okay, and, and here's what we, we have to be careful not to do. And this is hard, okay? It's to be here. To be so focused here that we miss here. We miss God's plan. We miss the eternal reality that we're living in the final days. This period, okay, of God's redemptive plan. So there's this temporal presence. 
Okay, that these clothes that I'm wearing will one day be no more. Okay, the house that I own. Okay, some of the, like the relationships, the, the, the car that I drive. These temporal things that we don't say, we don't chuck them because they're, they're temporal. But we use them as a means to carry forth God's plan of redemption. Okay, so we always live with this end period in mind. Now, Peter references this several times. Let me just give you three quick examples. Um, in one, um, verse, chapter 1, verse 1, he, he references the believers as elect exiles. Okay, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says that, that the grace, um, to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, futuristic reality, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One day when he returns. So Peter's constantly thinking about this end period and what's coming when Christ returns. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, not only does he, he say, I urge you as sojourners and exiles that you're a visitor to this place, but, but I urge you, furthermore than that, to, to live in such a way that what? People may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does that mean? It means that one day like God's going to return and there's going to be testimony of the way you lived your life and the impact it had on people, the people bring glory to God because God used you as a means to making much of him and drawing man to himself. Okay, so that's the idea of living with the end in mind. Now go back to verse 7. It says, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Okay, self-controlled. Let's think about this for a second. So um, there's an example um, in Mark chapter 5 that I'll just reference real quick about self-control. I'm going to give you an opposite example of self-control. So Jesus is on the job, you know, he wakes up, he's like, you know, clocks in, um, not really, and then, um, you know, he, he goes in a boat, travels to work, gets out of the boat, and the first thing he comes across is a crazy, naked, homeless man. You can go there. Mark 5, okay? Now, I've come across some crazy, like, homeless people experiences, Never anybody that's like naked. I mean, there's been some pretty interesting ones. But anyway, um, so uh, he comes across this guy. And in fact, this guy is he's possessed by several demons, the scriptures say. And this guy was so, so influenced by these demons, they could, no one could control him. They would put chains around him. They would shackle him. And it says that he would just rip the shackles to shreds. Jesus comes out on the scene. And he casts these demons into the pigs. The pigs run into the water and, and die. Okay, so, and then later on, all the witnesses see this man sitting next to Jesus. And you know the words in Mark 5.15 that are used to describe this man? It says he was in his right mind. That's, that's self-control. When you're in your right mind, we would equate it as Christians to the, 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 the filling of the Spirit. Okay, God's power at work within us to control the flesh, to abstain from the things that God calls us to abstain from, okay, um, and to, to live in connection with the, with the Spirit. Okay, but here's, here's what I want you to see. When it talks about prayer, here's what it's saying. That we live in such a way that everywhere we go, everything we do, we see as a means for the gospel to touch. 
And so when we're self-controlled in this type of way, the gospel then, we begin to see with gospel lenses so that everything can be changed by the gospel. So we begin to pray. We begin to see our home as an opportunity for God's power to come at work. We begin to see our, our workplace, where we work out, where we drive, what we do, who we spend time. We begin to see that as a means to not only engaging God in prayer, but engaging God's mission to bring lost. Like, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. I need someone to help me. People, all of us, pre-Christ, sometimes we revert to that, right? Okay, we'll get to that here in a little bit to bring those people to him. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multiple a multitude of sins. So um, I have a three and a half year old. She'll be four in February. And uh, she loves her brother like nobody's business. And she talks about how much she loves her brother all the time. Hey, but his name is Buddy, actually. Um, I love you, Buddy, all the time, okay? Okay, but let me kind of also help depict what love looks like for my um, almost four-year-old. So um, she loves to love him in such a way that she has so much fun and he's crying. And in her mind, like, that is, like, just beautiful. She's like, I just love you, buddy. And she'll just ring him up and just, like, hug him. And he's like, yeah, like, just screaming. I'm like, Mikhail, you can't love him in such a way that it inflicts pain upon him. He doesn't enjoy that. In her mind, Daddy, I'm loving him. He's my buddy. Okay, now, when, when I read this verse, and it says, keep loving one another earnestly, um, I have this concern because I think that we sit in here and we read that verse, and we've heard that instruction numerous times that to love, like, we think we know what that means. We think we understand this reality of what it means to love someone. But I don't, I don't think we get it. Kind of like my daughter doesn't get it. I, I think there's this, this misconception where we distort the reality of what it means to love. Okay, So we would agree that love is rooted in Christ, right? And so what we do is we then distort this Christ-centered reality of love into this other aspect of love that we make to be enjoyable and comfortable for us. Okay, and where it ceases to be enjoyable and comfortable, man, we're just, we're just not on board. And Peter wants to bring some, some resolution, bring some correction to that for us because there's so much, something so much greater. There's a depth that's so much greater. And, and here's the deal. It's not that if you enjoy loving someone or it's comfortable to love someone that it's not love. Okay? It's just that if that's the only thing it is, then you're missing it, right? I mean, can we, can we agree on that? Like, there's times, like, I love my wife, and I enjoy it. And like, you, yeah, you better. Like, I do. And it's comfortable, and it's natural. And, and there's times when, like, it's hard. Does that mean, like, I don't do it? No, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a greater depth that's necessary, okay? And, and it's rooted in Christ. And we find this in Romans 5, verse 8, that says this. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Okay, so love is rooted in the work of Christ on the cross. Here's what I think we forget. I think that we forget that that verse that says God showed his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died. We forget the Garden of Gethsemane scene where Christ is pleading with his Father that this verse would not be, re- be a reality. Do you remember that? God, I don't want you to bring about love for these wicked people through this kind of pain. Like he, ple- he pleads with the Father. Like that's, that's not enjoyable, comfortable love. That's a love that's costly, that costs him his life. Okay, and, and that's, that's the love that we're called to here. Now, I want to look at 1 John chapter 4, because I think this is going to give some, some weight to what we're talking about. 1 John 4 verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, so there's no such thing as authentic love apart from the reality of God granting it. Eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. Okay, so how did God show love? By sending his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Okay, pay attention here. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for my sins. So let me stop because you're just like, you just lost me. What is that? What does 1 Peter say? If your Bible's open, look down at 1 Peter verse 7. It says, verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. That's what that word means. Okay? That he sent his son to cover sin. Okay, so love then is defined as this reality where it covers sin. Now hang on because we can run off in a really bad way with that. Keep going. Verse 11, beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So it's interesting because he brings out this reality of love being this continual work of God not only perfecting us, but but a, a grace that when we give it to others, we're perfecting this reality of how well I love someone. Okay, keep going. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. Pay attention so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Okay, so stop for a second here. For the day of judgment. What is it talking about? It's bringing out this holistic, like back the truck up and look, reality, where I then see the way I love every single day is is done through the lenses of, it's not about today. It's about a holistic reality that we're living in the last Stage of God's redemptive plan for the world. With the end in mind. Now, 
I think we would agree here, I'm going to stop and not continue reading. I think we would agree here that, that intertwined in the call to discipleship is a call to love, right? That when Jesus calls us to follow him, how does he say to do it? Remember the two greatest commandments? If we could sum up all of the Bible in two phrases, love God and love people. So there's something, there's something pretty important about this idea of what it means to love. Okay, but I think it, let's talk for a second about this idea that covers sin. Okay, um, Proverbs chapter 10 says that hatred stirs up strife. Have you ever hated something? Have you, have you ever hated someone? Do you know what that does in you? Like when you have hatred for a person and you see that person, like there's no peace going on in you. I mean, let's be honest. Like there's no peace going on in me in, the, in those moments. Like, like it's, it's fury. Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. Now that's a pretty crazy extreme. Okay, um, so... Um, here, here's the way I would describe um, North Church, or if, if you're new to this place, here's the way I would say um, you would find North Church um, is, is a full of real, authentic people, okay, um, that this isn't a plastic community, okay, I lived up, I lived, I grew up in a church that I felt like it had kind of a plastic feel to it. It's just kind of fake. Like, I think this is, well, like, what God's doing here is authentic, okay? Um, and, and it's so authentic that, that people are real about where they are, okay? And, and I've seen two reactions to this. I've seen this jaw-dropping, like, what, what did he just say? What word did he just use? What did he say he struggles with? This jaw-dropping view. But, th- but then here's the other side of it. I was like, I've seen this level of refreshment where when people see an authentic group of Christians that are honest about struggles in their life, that are honest about dealing with sin in their life, like it's refreshing. Like I grew up in a place that, I, I don't know that it was intentional, but what I got out of it was that it's not okay to not be okay. And so you come to this place, and when you come here, you put on this front that everything's okay. So you have shallow relationships, you have a plastic community, and it's, it's not real. And so here's what happened to me. I grew up with a huge question mark on if the Christian life is even possible. Like, can we do what God's called us to? And then I also believe the lie that I just wasn't at the level of maturity that all these other people were at because they've arrived in their sanctification, in their holiness, in their I obey God and I never sin. And then all of a sudden like, divorce. What? You don't just get divorced. Like, there's some things that lead up to that, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so... So it's interesting because in the midst of living in an authentic community, like where real people have real sin issues in our lives, um, what happens is like sin begins to 
intertwine, and we begin to be in relationship. Um, I think Rick calls it, we rub up against one another, in a sense. Um, and so here's what happens. The sin, our sin against God, so identity issues, okay, that I don't believe that God is who he says he is. I don't believe that he's enough for me. And those issues of identity, God, I don't trust you. Those are sin issues, okay? God, um, I'm not obeying you. I'm not following your path, okay? So that idea of when we sin against God vertically, okay, we say, I'm my own God. I'm writing my own story. Okay, you're an awful author. Let me just throw that out, okay? Me too. Let him do it. Okay? We live that way, and then we live in relationship with one another. And then you take the sin against one another. Has you ever been jealous of somebody else in the room? Like what's going on with them or what they got or what they're doing or what they did or what they're going to do? You ever had envy? You ever felt like someone had malicious intent in what they did or what they didn't do for you? It's interesting because like as we grow as a church, like for a while we were like, 20 people, and like everyone knew everybody, and everyone loved everybody, and it was really comfortable, and woo doo and like, like as we grow as a church, like there's this big reality of, that's coming on. I hear conversations all the time about like, man, I just, I feel left out. Like, I, I, you know, I wasn't invited to this. I didn't get to do this. Like, that's kind of part of growing. Do you, do you understand? Like, so we, we even look at people and we even think that, well, you didn't treat me right because you didn't invite me to. I'm not saying that, and that's never true, but what I'm saying is we have sin against one another. And we live in relationship with one another, and that sin affects how we relate to each other. Okay, now, here's the deal. Over and over and over again, the scriptures talk about the the Christian community, to be an alternate society from the world. That we live different, that we act different, that we are different because we're living for a different purpose than the world. Okay? And what's interesting is when you look in the scriptures, the most impactful communities in the scriptures are those that got this key ingredient of love. You look at where the gospel had its greatest impact, it was where loving people loved each other well in such a way that it blew up the world around them with the truth of Christ. But it was this authentic reality of a love that covers sin. Now let me define that. Okay? Here's what I mean when I, here's what I believe it means when it says love that covers sin. Okay, number one, there's an understanding that the presence of sin in our lives. Okay, where we're honest about, I'm saved by God, fully His, fully accepted in His sight, that it's the work of Christ on the cross that gives me right standing with the Holy God. Yet I still, in my life, am wrestling with walking out my identity as a Christian. That I'm fully accepted and righteous in God's sight, but I don't always act that way. So, like, we're, we're honest about that. And what we say, I love you. Like, I know you're wrestling. Like, it's okay to not be okay. Just don't stay there. I know you're wrestling with sin in your life. I love you. We're not going to deny the issues that are going on in our lives. We're going to, I love you. Okay, but there's another step to that because 
We don't tolerate it. So by saying I love you, it doesn't mean like it's okay. Like you're a blatant liar. I love you. It's all right. Like, no, that's a big deal. Okay, and that doesn't alter my love for that person. Like, I still love them. Why? Because what's the third one? I'm able to see people, Christians, that are struggling and fighting sin issues in their life covered by the work of Christ on the cross. So because my love is seen with this cross-centered reality, it's automatically going to give me a loving affection for someone, but at the same time, it's not going to leave that loving affection to just let me leave, leave them in their sin. That's why Jesus, all the time, the Pharisees hated him. Why did they hate him? Because he like welcomed the outcasts. He welcomed the people that the world shuns. Hated him for that. Jesus, all the time, he welcomed those people. But he was very pointed to say, repent and believe. So like, this idea of loving in such a way that it covers sin, I'm admitting that we're dealing, we're growing in the work of the gospel in our own lives, but also more than that, we're calling us to a higher standard. Sometimes the way we live our lives, it's not what God's called us to. He's calling us to something greater. Do you, do you see that, what I'm saying there? Okay, but, but let's take it a step further. So I think there's an, another level. Can you guys handle this? You're like, okay, extra hours. So I'm going to bank on that extra hour of sleep. Okay, and let's, let's, let's dive a little deeper. Here we go. There's another level, and it's this. So if this love that covers sin deals with, like, sin issues specific, I also believe it deals with the effects of sin. Okay, here's what I mean. So some of us come into this place with an incredible amount of what I'll call baggage. Okay, that there's deep, dark scars on you from your past. Okay, from how you were raised, from specific choices to to run in ways that God said don't run, to walk in ways that God said don't walk. There's there's scars, okay? And, And this idea is that that all of us on some level have those, right? All of us on some level struggle with this reality of the sins of the past, the effects of sin in my life. So not just the sin in my life, but the effects that it's had on me over the course of my life. Okay? Here's what this says. We love you. Like, welcome to North Church, right? Like, can we say that together? Like, let's just do it. Welcome to North Church. Like, like, seriously. Because if we truly believe a gospel that has the power to transform lives, to transform our lives, to call us out of a way of life that's selfish and sinful and call us to a way of life that's for something so much greater, then what does that say? Like, not only is God able to deal with our baggage, but like the love of Christ that's in us by his spirit is able to deal with baggage. And so like, I just have a real problem. Like, I don't want to be a church that has like really pretty people. Like, there's just something wrong with that. Like, I think we're, you know, shotgunning our mission. We're throwing it out. We're like, you know, 
we're not living the way God, like to just be a pretty people that everything's okay. But love that's costly, that's not comfortable, is going to call us to love people where it's uncomfortable, where it's hard. Like, have you ever met someone and you can just see it in them, the deep scars on their life? And in your head, you immediately want to say, like, don't have anything to do with them. Like, they're going to they're gonna cost me everything. Like, if I'm going to try to love them, like, whew, it's going to be a lot of work. Like, you need to dive into that. So we're glad you're here. And I know on some level there's some in here that there's some question marks about what's going on. There's some uncertainty about Christianity, about who God is. Like, we're glad you are here. Okay, and, and what Peter goes on to say is, okay, so love that covers sin, there's, a, there's another process to it because verse 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So you're, you're welcoming. Like Jesus was so good at this. We just talked about this. We welcome people that no one wanted. The woman at the well, an adulteress. I don't have... Husband, I have five. Oh, crud. He talked to her. He had relationship with her. He loved her. When all the other religious worlds said, don't have anything to do with her. He said, I love you. I don't care what they think. I love you. And the gospel wants to transform your life. And he was welcoming and inviting. We love being hospitable to people that we're comfortable around. We love being hospitable to people that, that do the same things we do, where we can get together, we know what we're going to talk about. Like we kind of prearrange this in our minds. But, but let me ask you this. Like, how are you doing here? How are you doing in being hospitable? Like, look at the people around you. Like, how are you doing? Here's the challenge. Like, when's the last time you invited someone over to your house that's not in your community group? And you don't know very well. When's, when's the last time? Like, this is a concern for me as a church. Like, as a pastor of North, this is a concern. I've heard lots of conversations of people that have come to North Church and they say, Man, it's really hard to tap into your, like, you guys love each other, but like, I got to get into that. It's hard to get into that. Like, when's the last time you welcomed someone that you didn't know very well? Like, you didn't know how the conversations were going to go? You didn't know what you were going to talk about? Like, can we just give that to the Lord? Say, I'm different than that person. But like, here's the thing that we need to know. Let's keep going. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm really excited. Um, Look at verse 10. Here's why this is so important. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay, check this out. This is unbelievable. Okay? As a Christian, you are uniquely wired, uniquely gifted. You have God's unique handprint on your life. Ephesians chapter 2 said you're God's workmanship, God's poetry, God's creativity. You're uniquely wired in such a way that you have access to the grace of God in a way that no one else in the room does. 
Do you realize that? And here's the deal. You see God, and you understand God, and you know God differently than I do. And what's amazing about that is when that, the grace of God given to us through our personality, through our gifting, through our talents, when it's given to us, what we do, what we're called to, what's it say there? Use it to serve one another. So when you engage the work of God in this place, in whatever body of believers, that if you're not a part of this church, you're a part of another, when you engage in service to the body of Christ, here's what you're doing. You're enabling me to know Christ more fully and walk with him more fully. And when you, as a Christian, disengage, don't serve, don't use your giftings, what you're doing is you're taking the grace of God and you're hoarding it for yourself and you're not allowing the community of believers to flourish because of how God's revealed himself to you. Because listen, if we back up and we see that, that God's, the, the gospel and God's means of redemption is so much bigger than us, and we see that God's, like God set the times and the places, Acts 17, that everything that's happened over the course of our life is a means to bring about God's glory and God's plan, okay, then what happened to you when you were 10 isn't some distant reality, isn't some absent reality from the, the entirety of God's redemptive work. Like, do you, do you believe that? Like, your, your gifting, your personality, your story is God's grace in your life. Because here's the deal. Like, we don't see that as grace. Let me redefine grace for you. Anything apart from eternal wrath in hell is God's grace. So if life on earth is hell to you, it's grace. If life on earth is really hard, like, you are experiencing grace because you deserve hell, so do I. So right now, God's grace is all over us because we're not under his wrath. And when we get that, like we'll give it. Like the reason why we don't give grace is because we don't get it. We don't understand it. We don't understand the emphasis of Ephesians chapter 2 and the work of Christ. But Ephesians 4 says that that I'm built up, that when you flex God's grace in using the way he's gifted you, when you flex that, here's what it does. I'm built up, the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, that the body of Christ may be built up. We may, may no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Oh, this person says this. Oh, this person says this. No, in serving, in flexing God's grace in our lives, it gives me a track to run on. And that track is the gospel. Do you see that? Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So, so notice that. It talks about speaking. It talks about serving. Like, notice that it says that, that when you use your gifts, you're literally an agent of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that we're his ambassadors, that he's making his appeal through us. That's unbelievable. That's why every time I get up here, like I believe that. 
Like I believe right now, and I see it on some of your faces, that God is wrenching you, that God's doing a work in your heart, that God is making his appeal. But here's the thing. Just because God's affirmed in my life my call to teach, and numerous individuals have affirmed in my life my gifting to teach, that doesn't mean that I'm like, I'm, I'm there. Like I, I just do it. Like, and I'm really good at it all the time. Like, no. What do I do? I do it. And in doing it, I get better. I would hope you would say, over the course of you hearing me teach, like, I'm getting better, whatever that looks like, okay? But at the same time, what does that mean? Like, I'm honing my gift. Like, I'm using my gift, but I'm getting better at it, getting better at at flexing God's grace for you. I'm just using my gift as an example, because whatever your gift is, are you honing it? Are you using it to flex God's grace to build up the body of Christ? Because it's amazing because it says that Rachel's got it. I mean, you got to admit that was really distracting and I couldn't just keep going, right? You need me to talk to him? Um, look, at, look at the end of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want to be that kind of church. Like, I, I, I want to be the kind of church that sees the kingdom of God from a holistic perspective, that understands what it means to love everyone, including the unlovable, including the outcast. Why? Because what does that do? That flexes God's glory. And I just want to say, some of you are killing it here. Some of you are doing an, I use that in a positive way, okay? An un, <laughs> you're like, oh crud, what is it? Okay, like, sorry. Um, like, you're serving, like, unbelievable. And I just want to say, thank you. Like, I'm so blessed by those of you that are here and are just getting after it for the kingdom. And I just want to publicly say thank you. You need to affirm someone who's serving. Quit thinking about what they could do better. Quit thinking about what you wish they would do. Go affirm them. Because some people are just getting after it for the glory of God. I want to be that kind of church. And I think God's doing some amazing things where we graciously and hospitably love people well in such a way that God is glorified. That's what he desires, and that's where his glory shines. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll respond to the Lord. God, you are so faithful. Your loving kindness is beyond imagine. I can't even comprehend why in the world you would love me. God, because I know me. I know my struggles. I know my sin. I know um, 
I know me, but God, your grace is so incredible. And God, I thank you that, that you've called us to such a greater story. To love in an uncomfortable way. God, that you've called us to something greater than us. God, have your way and grow us. God, I'm incredibly privileged to lead these people that sit before me. God, I pray your presence as we walk forward, as we respond to you. In Christ's name, amen.